Hello and welcome to Frontier Investigates, brought to you by Frontier Current Affairs, the frontier of a new generation. You're very welcome to this fourth episode in our series, where we'll be moving away from politics and international affairs to commerce and economics. On today's episode, I'll be talking with the co-founder of the Go House, Thomas Arnold, where we will discuss what the Go House is, what separates it from other TikTok houses, as well as some more general TikTok subjects, including some security and privacy issues that have arisen over the past year. I'm Drums McGinn, and this is Frontier Investigates. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Drummond. What's the story? How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, it's Friday evening. Relaxing way to finish the week. So, <laughs> Good stuff. So um, I suppose some of our listeners may not know or simply want to learn a little bit more about what the Go House is. So uh, an easy question first. What is the Go House? Yeah, yeah. Great question. So the Go House is Ireland's first and only TikTok house. It was an idea that myself and my co-founder, Jake Brown, thought of in July of 2020. So we were really bored during quarantine. We were trying to figure out how to grow our YouTube channels. And one day Jake said to me, why don't we just pile all our savings together and give it out to the Irish public and maybe we'll get some media attention. And I was like, Jake, that is a horrendous idea. And he was like, okay, I'll go back to the drawing board. And then the next day he was on a run and he'd text me and he goes, I have a great idea. I think it's a secret and uh, I'm not going to tell anybody about it, but you, Tom. And then he proceeded to ring me and said, why don't we start a TikTok house? And people had come to me with the idea before, but they had said, let's rent an Airbnb for a weekend. Let's get a couple of creators together. Jake thought, no, let's get a really sick gaff. Let's get 10 of the best creators we can find. And let's just make a whole lot of noise. And it kicked off September 1st. And, uh, We've been rolling with it ever since. You mentioned YouTube there, and I, I, I had a quick look, and you're quite popular on YouTube. Well, 17,000 subscribers, so very fo- uh, popular. I suppose, what made you make the jump from you know YouTube to TikTok? And um, I suppose, why didn't the Go House stay on um, YouTube or you know as a YouTube create, uh, creator house rather than a TikTok creator house? Yeah, yeah, good point. So like to call it Ireland's first TikTok house, I guess is a little bit of pigeonholing it a bit because the creators in the house, they're on all platforms. So they'd skew towards TikTok, but they post on Instagram, they post on YouTube. Uh, I myself, I'm a big YouTube fan. YouTube is probably my strongest platform, but TikTok is essentially the, the social media of the moment, as you probably know. Like in 2020, TikTok out of the 12 months of the year, eight of those months, TikTok was the most downloaded app on the app store. So it's very much in vogue. It actually just hit the, joined the exclusive billion users club along with Facebook Messenger and Instagram. So uh, I think it's on 1.2 billion users and half of those are monthly active users. So it's really popular and that's sort of why we did what we did, I think. We'll get onto that a little bit later in terms of how TikTok has taken off and the reasons behind it. But I suppose in the meantime, um, I sort of want to get your perspective on why what what you why you did what you did um i suppose you in college you did a bachelor's in commerce obviously um and you sort of started your content creation in university and it was sort of a i suppose the question i want to ask is was it a side hustle uh, turned profession and you had an ambition to go into like a a corporate sort of uh, world as a career or was content creation something that you always wanted to do 
Yeah, so I started making content when I was 12. Like I'm 23 now. I know I look pretty close to 12, but uh, I started it sort of 10 years ago and I was making cricket videos in my parents' house, which is how I started. And I was posting them on YouTube. They got some amount of views, not a crazy amount, but uh, I was always sort of interested in being creative. I think that's how I put it. And I started with YouTube videos. Then when I got a Facebook account in like 2016, I started posting on Facebook and Instagram. And I guess like I've always liked posting on the platforms. And uh, in terms of like turning it into a career, I guess when I was in college, I started a, a video production business called Fearless Media, which is just a video services business. So we do videos for like Microsoft, Red Bull, Accenture. It's just making online content for them. And it was very much a way to just make money initially and to not have to work a part-time job. And then it grow, grew slowly but surely over the course of college where it was enough to be like a self-sustaining business, one that I could move out with. And yeah, I never really had aspirations, I think, of working a corporate job, but I think I just rolled, went with the flow in college. I didn't really, I was trying to figure stuff out. And towards the end of my tenure in commerce in UCD, I was just like, ah, I just don't want to do a corporate job. So I might as well work for myself. Um, with the content creation and sort of gaining more followers and everything, was it something that you, I suppose, you, you just produce a new video every day or whatever, or was it something that you had like sort of meticulously thought out and had a business plan and everything, or was it just, ah, sure, I'll, you know, stick that on YouTube or Facebook or whatever? Yeah, it's, it's a mix of both, really. Obviously, there's, you do thinking beforehand around, well, what's going to get people to click the video? And then from that point, you definitely put a bit of a framework around it in terms of, I think this could get views and I think people will want to watch it. But during the actual process, it is a little bit of, uh, let's just give it, a, give it a go. Now, I think giving it a go and vlogging on the fly, that really made moves in 2016 when Casey Neistat was taking over YouTube and that was the content people really wanted to see. Now in 2021, it's a bit of a different landscape. Like people are very annoyed at most content. They think they don't like it. They're very used to getting really well edited, really funny, really of the moment cultural videos. And uh, now I think YouTube requires a lot more attention to detail and work when it comes to say YouTube uh, thumbnails and titles and like how good the ideas are. So I think it's way more competitive now than when I started. So I'm actually going to shift more towards that this year around more well thought out, very insightful videos that have great thumbnails. I suppose that was sort of the beauty of TikTok though as well, was that anyone could create, you know, a short, you know, 30 second to a minute video without having to, you know, know how to use, you know, um, you know, high tech software or have lots of gear or anything. It was very, very simple to use. Um, and I suppose if you had any advice for young YouTubers out there or anyone who aspires to be a TikToker or anything like that, what kind of advice would you give them? I think content creation is like very fun. And the people who make content, it sort of varies based on when they grew up. So when I was growing up, like when I was 16, 17, 18, it was YouTube was the platform that everybody wanted to be a star on, if that makes sense. Now TikTok is that new platform and we see less YouTubers and more people who want to be TikTokers. It is just of the moment. But um, 
I think like for people who want to make it want to make it big with it and like I guess in the, in the sense here I'm sort of talking at a place because like I only have 50k on TikTok I'm not exactly the biggest TikTok star in the world but I have met a lot of these people who have been successful on the platforms and uh, essentially you just got to be tenacious put out a lot of content and always try and improve your content that's really it it's like no difference to succeeding in any other profession if you want to be a lawyer you got to put in a lot of work if you want to be an accountant like a good one you got to put in a lot of work if you like a good analogy would be sports like if if anyone was to say yeah i want to work or i want to play for man united but they're not spending all their days on the training pitch analyzing how they're doing eating well sleeping well training well you call them crazy and it's the same with social media like if you're not posting a lot and you're not trying to get better and you're not learning then you'll have no there's no way you're going to be successful so um the old adages of hard work and patience is definitely the way to go, I think. I suppose, Aaron, you mentioned it a little bit earlier with you know, TikTok becoming a lot more popular and a lot more people signing up uh, and creating more videos. It becomes a lot more competitive and a lot more hostile in terms of how you ha- compete with other TikTokers. Um, I suppose, if you could, what, what are your main challenges in terms of competing with um, well, your competition? I think the younger someone is on a platform, the easier they adapt to it and the easier they learn. There's some chemical in kids' brains, which I forget, but one of the reasons why, I don't know if you've ever heard that stereotype where like old people can't learn as fast as young people can. And when we run around as babies, we're flooded with this certain hormone in our brain that allows us to like learn very quickly. So it means that we can make, like a classic example would be when a baby like is trying to walk and they fall over and they get back up and they try and walk again. Um, It's because their feedback loop is like, oh, that didn't work, I'm going to try it again. Oh, that didn't work, I'm going to try it again. And their adoption of stuff is very quick. And the biggest challenges today is like that the younger people, like I'm 23, I already feel quite old. The 15-year-olds are wiping the floor with me in terms of how quick they use stuff. So um. In terms of competition, I think you just got to try and adapt to platforms as quick as you can and like learn as quick as you can. And that ultimately is like a skill. And the quicker you can learn things and the more patience you can have with them, I think the better your chance of success is. I suppose on a much grander scale than that, other TikTok houses do exist. Like they sort of started with the hype house in LA. And I suppose it's how do you um, sort of compete with other houses, not just other individual TikTokers, but also how do you sort of differentiate the content that you put out compared to, you know, what they are putting out or what other um, you know, content houses are putting out compared to the Go House? Yeah, like I was decently happy with the content we put out in that season one of the house, which is from September 2023 to Christmas 2020. I think how you differentiate is it's pretty simple. Like you, you look at what's being posted online, you make gargantuan lists of what everybody's doing and you ask yourself, how can I make that better? How can I, like there's a Silicon Valley phrase called, if you want to be a leader in your vertical, so a leader in your industry, you have to make your product 10 times better than the next alternative to make it a no brainer for someone to use your product. And we would sort of think along the same lines in terms of, if we're making content and we want people to watch our content over somebody else's, well, we got to look at what are people making in the landscape? How can we like one up it, if that makes sense? And is there certain areas where we choose to be better? And are there certain areas where we choose to not play the game at all? 
So maybe we just don't engage in like gaming content, but maybe we double down on fitness content or something like that. So it's sort of the same in any business. Like you pick what you think you're good at and where you can add a lot of value and you sort of hammer in that direction. That's actually very interesting because I think when um, people you know hear of TikTok or TikTokers, they tend to forget about the whole sort of business aspect of it. Like you guys do make a decent revenue from it and you do have other um, competitors in the market. And the way you, as you described there, that you go about trying to compete and trying to, I suppose, become the best in the market um, is very similar to what large firms, like, I don't know whether it be a, a law firm or a, a, um, a corporate firm does. Um, I had a point here. Uh, so you, I, I suppose in that sense, you guys are doing very well and you are sort of um, specializing your uh, your markets so you're focusing on say uh, what relates to irish people compared to i don't know what you know over in la what they relate to over there um and that's very interesting i, I suppose with that i'd like to move on to what the you know the bigger framework of what tiktok has to offer and uh, tiktok really came to fame around this time last year but really took off with you know the when the pandemic restrictions came in and I suppose, would you say, if it wasn't for, you know, the various lockdowns, do you think that TikTok would have, you know, ever taken off? Yeah, like they had a serious amount of active users before lockdown took off. Like, sorry, not lockdown took off, before lockdowns really came into place. Did lockdowns accelerate the adoption of TikTok? I think so, yeah. And like, if you look at the likes of Facebook, Apple and Tesla posted their quarterly earning reports couple days ago and facebook's uh like watch time was up was doubled basically over the course of 2020 the amount of live stream hours watched on twitch was doubled to 17 billion hours in 2020 so like uh, i think for online businesses purely online businesses especially things like entertainment of which tiktok is included then lockdown definitely helped them grow faster and like, I'm, I'm sure they're pretty happy with that. <laughs> I suppose what a lot of criticism of TikTok was in the beginning was people saw it as a, as a bubble. You know, this is a fad that will come and go like Vine. Um, to those that say that, and obviously, you know, it's in its early days, um, I suppose, what, what criticism would you have of that? Yeah, like TikTok definitely can die. Like there was a, a social media app called Vine in 2012, 2013 that had a quick rise to fame and then a quick death now there is a law in economics i think it's called the lindy effect i potentially could be corrected on that but it based there's this law in economics that states that the longer an entity is alive the longer it should last and tiktok has been floating around in some way shape or form for actually 10 years it's a it was originally a chinese company it was called musically and although they've really come to prominence recently they've been floating around for a long time so tiktok definitely is not as as much of a safe bet as say YouTube because YouTube's been going around for 15 years and it has such a crazy amount of watch time, such great retention rates with its users. YouTube's going to be around for a long time. Yes, I would categorize TikTok as potentially like a risk, risky platform in that it may go tomorrow, but they've acquired so many users and they've acquired so many eyeballs that I think they're on the safer side of social media platforms people forget that like there has been an enormous amount of social media platforms over time like the web 2.0 bubble into the 2000s where 
tech firms were getting crazy evaluations based on the fact that their business was on the internet and they were getting money pumped into them because nobody knew what the internet was. Like pets.com raised 400 million and basically died overnight. The new version of that is social media companies or streaming platforms like Quibi. I don't know if anybody remembers that. That raised like 2 billion last year and it died within a year. So VCs like venture capitalists are pumping money into social media platforms, but ultimately only a small amount of them actually succeed. And TikTok has like penetrated through to the point where they have like a very good user base. There is only seven platforms that people use. Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, TikTok. I'm forgetting one. Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and Messenger. That's not seven, but like they're all the ones for the world. Eight billion people. That's all it is. So like um, they've definitely broken through. And I think that criticism is a bit outdated. Like I think a year ago, that was a relevant thing to say, but now it's like... Come on, get on the app and see how people use it because people love it. So you'd argue that TikTok is here to stay for the, the near future? Okay, well, I'm going to say caveat that with one thing. I have no idea about their financials. I know the revenue doubled last year. There is a world where they like lose copious amounts of money and they will not exist into the future. But Snapchat, over the course of its entire career, has never been profitable and has actually lost $4 billion total. But people continue, like my hot take on it would be, it continues to get money because what Snapchat is saying to VCs is like, VC, um, Snapchat is a hardcore audience of like 13 to 19 year old males and females, teenagers basically. It's always had that fan base. When they become 40, they're gonna know Snapchat, know and love it. The same way our parents would like know and love fucking Campbell's Soup and there's a high future value for Snapchat. So although it's losing a lot of money now, the future returns could be quite high. So um, I don't, I would, if I was to bet, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, um, I would say TikTok is here to stay for a while anyway. I suppose there are other um, concerns as well surrounding TikTok. Um, you know, there's obvious sec security concerns with TikTok, uh, not just for individuals, but also for governments. You had uh, obviously uh, the US president in the last term there banning TikTok from app stores. Um, do you think that's an irrational decision or was it necessary to protect um, the security of the United States? And do you think other countries should follow suit? I mean, obviously well, you're in a biased position here because, you know, you do put a lot of content on TikTok, but objectively. Ah, uh, yeah. No, but I'm not biased. Like if it, if it died overnight, I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like we'd move to another platform. So like, it's not as if I get paid by TikTok or I'm tied to that platform. Um, like what I would say is that privacy concerns, like every online resource asks for your data. Google asks for your data. Facebook and Cambridge Analytica asks for your data. If you're going to say that TikTok is like selling information to the Chinese government, like these things happen all the time with different services, but we just, just don't necessarily hear about them. Now, I think there's a massive trend towards privacy and people care about privacy more and more. And if TikTok is doing shady things with data, I don't think people are going to like that. Um, but I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm in the right place to say, is it a genuine security concern? But what I do know is that they're not the only ones doing it. So like, if you're going to penalize them, then you're going to have to penalize a lot of other things as well. Because like, Google selling me my data right now to sell, sell me like shoes. Like, is that a problem? Like, I don't think so. So I don't know. I suppose what the concern is, is that the likes of Google, Facebook, 
uh, Snapchat, all these are based within the US or are, or in Western nations, if you put it like that. And so the government does ha has the potential to regulate these companies if necessary. Whereas with TikTok, because it is a um, it, it base in China, it has funding from the uh, Chinese Communist Party, um, there is a lot of contention over how you regulate that when you have no control over it. Um, I suppose to that end, do, do, do you, does that change your mind in the sense that, yeah, you know, these Facebook and the likes sell your data to, you know, Cambridge Analytica so you get targeted ads? Or uh, whereas TikTok will sell your information to, you know, as you put it, the Chinese government to, I don't, God knows what. Yeah. But like, as a question back to you, though, they're like, oh, Facebook actually doesn't have penetration in China, does it? Because they have WeChat. Is that true? Yeah, well, that, that's that's sort of the argument that the US would put toward um, TikTok is, you know, if you're if you're not allowing our Western companies to be in your country, why should we let, you know, TikTok, you know, be in the Western states? Um, obviously, there's a bit more of a um, an international issue here. There are more politics behind it than, you know, the sort of the commerce of it. I just wanted to hear what your take um, of it was. And you did raise an interesting point there, which is, you know, if TikTok dies overnight, it's very easy just to move to another platform. And, and you know, we've me already mentioned in this podcast that um, TikTok has millions of users at this stage, millions of content creators. Um, if you had to predict a site that they had to move to, one of the existing ones, um, overnight, well, where, where would they go? Oh, yeah, good point. I think Facebook sort of sucks, so probably not that. Um, Instagram, maybe instagram or snapchat like snapchat have started this thing called snapchat spotlight which is basically like a tiktok competitor where they have a feed of short videos and you can like them and stuff and they're giving away a million dollars a day to the most viral video the person who creates the the most viral video so i'd say snapchat or instagram probably because facebook's too old and messenger and whatsapp they're more communication devices rather than like entertainment platforms I certainly know personally that if I were to get any TikTok, I'd get it from, you know, when it's uploaded to Instagram Reels. Um, and I suppose in that sense, it, it is quite a, an adaptable market. So there are alternatives available. Um, a study was released there um, during the week by UCD, actually, of all universities. And they had some serious concerns over the security for children with TikTok. Do you think that there needs to be greater measures to protect children, whether it be in terms of age restrictions or whether TikTok should be actively monitoring what is put up on TikTok on a regular basis. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I don't really know that much about politics at all, but I have heard the argument of like, save the children, save the children, because like, that's what parents want to hear. And like, that's not necessarily what kids want to hear because like, what, what do you want to do? Do you want to uh, monitor the stuff that goes up on TikTok so that kids can't see, like, illicit things, yet they can just go on Google and do that anyway? It's it's not as if they if they want to find it, they're going to find it. Um, like, the idea around sort of censorship and stuff like that, I, I'm not 100% sure. But one thing I can comment on is, like, YouTube has definitely tried to listen to those opinions and measures because they have stuff like youtube kids where they only show certain pieces of content and um they can like parents can have more control over what kids see and everything um but like ultimately if you're a parent and you don't want your kid to see stuff then just don't give them a phone or like just don't like allow them to be on tiktok 
But then, like, why would you do that in 2021 when, like, the only way they can communicate with their friends is through a mobile phone or, or like, an iPad or something? So I think it's around allowing them to use the platforms and then, like, a bit of education around what they see. And, uh, like, you're not going to be able to stop kids from using these things because they're going to run rings around you because they know technology way better than you do because they're young and easily able to adapt to stuff. So um, I think there is a certain amount of monitoring that needs to go on. But uh, at the same time, it's it's sort of about just teaching people about it as well. Like I'm very much speaking out of place here, but uh, that's sort of how I'd feel about it. Would you say that, t- you know, I'm not just TikTok, but the likes of Facebook and other companies, in the beginning when they're you know as a requirement to upload to the app store or anything like that there should be a minimum requirements of what that app has um such as you know age restrictions for certain things because i certainly know that um you have the likes uh, when you go to i don't know google play or um the app the apple app store when you go on it says oh this is you know 12s 13s 18s whatever but it doesn't stop you from downloading it. You can still download it if you want to, despite the age restriction, similar to like a, a DVD or a film. Um, do you think that there needs to be more stringent measures on this where the child won't be able to download it? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. Like, I'm not the guy who brings in, uh, like that's the least of my worries when I'm making stuff, you know what I mean? Like I never think about that. And that's sort of, Thing around safety and compliance and making sure people are safe and everything um those things ha- tend to happen on a mass scale when something really bad happens like somebody died oh. um when somebody like uh this one thing comes to mind where there was this video game like a rpg game created in the 90s 80s or 90s where it was like a horror film and you could control what was going on. And it was one of the first like RPGs um, that really went viral. And it eventually ended up in the Supreme Court because the old people in the courts who saw it thought it was absolutely horrendous and would incite a lot of violence in children. When what was actually happening was that all the young people just loved it and thought it was hilarious and they not that they enjoyed the violent aspect of it, but they were just found it very entertaining because they were bored with the content that they had. So I don't know, someone's opinion of what is uh, allowable and not allowable is like, is subjective, I think. Um, But yeah, I think there should be a certain amount of, you know, restrictions so people don't get obscene stuff. But ultimately, if they want to find stuff, I think they're going to find it. That's what the internet's about. To the same end, do you think that individual um, content creators should have the, I don't know, the moral duty to uh, to their followers who they know are could be quite young or could be quite old, whatever the age bracket that they're catering to? Do you think that the content creators themselves have a duty to those children not to put anything that would put them in harm's way? Um, like, yeah, to a degree. I also think, though, that, you know, it depends. I think everybody should have, like, a moral compass. I think everybody should have, like, a set of ethics with which they, you know, conduct themselves. Sometimes you can post stuff and it'll have, like, negative consequences that you didn't foresee beforehand. And whether or not you went in with the intention of causing harm or not causing harm, if it ended up causing harm, then you're going to have to be aware of that and understand that, like, your actions do have consequences. Um, But... 
Yeah, I think to, to a degree, yeah. And I think like if you do something and you realize that it actually hurts some people, then it is your responsibility to learn from that experience and see it, how you can improve it moving forward. But at the same time, people are always going to hate on what you do to a degree. I know that's a very generic thing to say, but like haters going to hate that kind of thing. So um, like I, when I was in college, I never got any criticism at all. And then when we started this house, I've got tons of criticism. Like, and the, there was an article yesterday um, in the Phoenix or something. And it was like, that was like the worst article I've ever seen for, for me personally. Like it made me feel really bad. So with anything you do, there is going to be a degree of people who don't like it and it will cause like a certain amount of harm to them because they don't like what you're doing. I know that's not your initial question, but uh, I think there's positives and negatives with anything you post. I suppose what I sort of meant was if you go back a couple of years, if I don't know whether you remember this, is the whole sort of um, Jake Paul in Japan with the where he went to the um, the famous suicide. Logan Paul. That was there. Logan Paul, apologies. And I, that, that, that caused, you know, uproar, not just among, you know, parents and uh, but also, you know, international communities, the government, you know, um, various actors who are in the in the system who said, well, you know, that shouldn't have been allowed in the first place. I mean, yeah, he was a, a little bit stupid in doing that, but why was that allowed to happen in the first place? And I suppose the question that I'm trying to get at is, is that up to the, you know, TikTok or YouTube to monitor? Or is that up to the individual content creator to know that's a stupid idea in the first place? Okay, sorry. I understand your question now. Ah, it's a bit of both, like, isn't it? Uh, obviously, the suicide forest thing was not great. Like, at the same time, in a little bit of defense of the tech companies like there's an obscene amount of youtube videos that go up every day and they have a lot of people who are monitoring stuff but like it's very hard to monitor vast amounts of people posting you know unless you have something prior like tiktok has a thing called community guidelines where they'll take stuff down if they feel like it's uh, breaking community guidelines so i think it's probably a mixture of both but i'd lean more towards the business because ultimately they set the rules like so if they set the rules of the game they can essentially like ban certain things from being posted so it's a mix of both but like mistakes are going to happen on these platforms there's so many people posting like i think there's a peter teal quote that goes when you have a 10 person company you're able to like see everything that people do and it's it's grand then you have a 100 person company and something crazy happens and you're like holy crap i never thought when i started this that something like that could happen. And when you get to a thousand people, some obscene shit will happen that you couldn't believe would, would come to fruition because there's, there's just so many people interacting during the day that there's bound to be messed up shit that happens. And like these platforms, there's over a billion users on YouTube. So like there's bound to be fucked up shit that happens. I suppose, you know, and this is something that would be an outlier per se of the community guidelines. And you're seeing it now in recent um, recent days that a lot of influences have gone abroad and, you know, to the likes of Dubai or wherever, which is a breach of COVID regulations, uh, insisting that they are essential workers in some cases, uh, which all undermines, you know, the work of doctors and other frontline workers. And now, obviously, you know, you're in Ireland and you're not doing this. Um, but I suppose the question I have is, do you think that influencers and TikToks have a duty to, I don't know, set a good example to their followers of any age by, and you know, by going abroad, that's a terrible way to, you know, say, you know, to set an example. 
Yeah, there's that. I haven't seen that video, but it's. I think you're referencing that video of the girl over in Dubai who says she's an essential worker. Um, do they have a duty to show a good example to their followers? Uh, like, I think people can do what they want. Like, if the market will decide if their behavior is right or wrong, ultimately. Like, I think it's been very clear to see that people absolutely hate what that girl is doing unfortunately like that's just the way it is now like she might be getting a lot of criticism but there was thousands of irish people who went to spain at christmas and told nobody and is it it, are they worse are they better than this girl just because she gets a lot of criticism for it so like i don't think yeah it's fair to just you know if we're gonna say it for her you're gonna have to say it for a lot of people as well but i guess overall should should influencers have yeah to a degree yeah but to a degree like i think it's sort of up to their it's it's their choice it's their choice Uh, you made a point there that you know a lot of people went away at christmas to spain or whatever and you know i'm not going to defend that but the one thing i would have to say is do you think that these influencers or whatever by putting that out on their you know uh, on their social media out on tiktok out on youtube whatever it is um would inspire more people not inspire but you could sort yeah. of get you know set a precedent for their followers to say oh well if so and so is doing that then i can go to dubai or i can go abroad and sort of undermines the whole you know point of a lockdown because you know yeah yeah no, no that's a that's a, is a very good point like uh yeah when people do stuff other people want to do stuff that's sort of how it works like people tend to mirror other people's behaviors and if there was enough people going abroad and doing it, then, um, like, then yeah, people probably will think it's acceptable. Now, for her, like, there's a lot of other fitness people in Dubai. Rob Lipsis in Dubai, Mike Thurston's in Dubai, Louis Armstrong's in Dubai. They have, I don't know if they've gotten the same amount of, you know, criticism that this girl has. Um, but yeah, I definitely think it would inspire people. But like, the other side of it is that if they go abroad and they follow the restrictions that are in that country, because like I don't I I don't know about this. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if there's a travel ban to other countries right now. There are for certain places, but certain places you can fly into. If they're allowed to fly into it and they have to get a negative test and they're following the restrictions in that country, then like what's the problem with that? I mean, I might be getting a little bit too political in this sense, but if you go back to the start, you know, one of the first lockdowns where the whole golf gate was happening, where you had public representatives breaking COVID <laughs> guidelines, they weren't breaking any laws. It was they were breaking guidelines. They were still held account by the public. To the same end, do you not think that because these are influencers, they're in the public eye, and they are also breaking guidelines, that they too should be held account? Uh, yeah, if they're breaking guidelines, yeah. It, but if they're if they're following like the the requisite health measures then like i think there is a difference there between like breaking the guidelines and going to another country following what that country and the airports are allowing uh, and saying that that's wrong that's where i think there's a bit of a difference there you know well tom this has actually been a really interesting discussion and i know i'll put a couple of hard questions to you there uh but thank you for answering them it's been really a pleasure to talk to you Um, So I would like to wrap it up there and thank you for joining us. Uh, We had a discussion ranging um, from Tom's personal career and what a TikTok house is to some issues around TikTok and what the future holds. If you're not already, make sure to head over to our Instagram, Twitter, 
Facebook, LinkedIn to give us a like and follow. Who knows? We might even set up a TikTok in the near future. Make sure to tune into next week's episode. I'm John McGinn, and this is Frontier Investigates. Thank you.